I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to the Bass Guitar Nerds, a podcast by guitar nerds. I am your host, Joe Branton, joined this week by Naomi McLeod. Hello. JD Short. Hi. And Mark Packham. We just talk about P-Bases, right? (laughs) You are absolutely going to be the the odd one out on on, uh, this Why did you invite me to this? Because you're a bass player. In fact, I mean, it's really, it's not okay that it's been, we've been doing this for six, nearly seven years. Is it seven years now, Mark? Something like that, yeah. It's seven years. No, it's not that at all. It's it's not six uh, years. What, 2015? Five years. you're just counting guitar nerds rather than yeah 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 oh yeah all in uh yeah seven years seven years and we have never done a a solely bass based episode even though three out of the four original guitar nerds hosts are bass players as a primary so you know it's about it's about time how much stuff is there to talk about really with well it's not well exactly this is i wanted to have you on very much as the as the foil to everyone else's flamboyance um with your uh, <laughs> you know with your sort of relatively set set in your ways um my old man set up basically yeah, exactly. straight into the amp no messing around oh, that's horrible he doesn't even use a tuner guys it's uh it's terrible it's but very, anyway whoa. i don't yeah. need to <laughs> the sets yes. that i play are generally 15 to 20 minutes so it's not going to be is not going to have a tune in 15 minutes is it this is the issue with punk rock but yes um welcome dear listener welcome to the first episode of the bass guitar nerds obviously we have two new hosts for you here we've got naomi and jd uh listeners who've been listening for a long time you might remember we had jd on an episode like two years ago when we were doing the um the nam specials back in in 2018 but we've never had naomi on a podcast before um so very much this episode we're gonna be you know i think listener you need to get to know our hosts and where everyone stands in the world of bass guitars you know in the sense that you know that um you know that jay cross is going to just care about Baja Telecasters and Blue Juniors, Blues Juniors, and you know Mark just cares about Gibson Juniors. You know, it's it's uh, there's everyone is set in their ways, and we need to we need to explore our new hosts and uh, the sort of things they're into. So uh, so welcome JD and Naomi. Thank you very much for being a part of the first episode. Glad to be here. Thanks so much for having yes, me. Yes. What are you doing, Joe, to kick off? Are we doing some sort of, you know, secret origin story to uh, oh. find out how people got started and oh, what they play? That sounds like a great idea. Yeah, I was thinking I was thinking that. I was thinking we should all just talk about like maybe we'll take maybe we'll look at like bases first, you know. I, I'm not gonna plan too far ahead because every time I plan far ahead on the on the regular episode, we get about you know, a, a sort of a quarter of the way through anything that I've said we're gonna cover. So I guess for starters we should I'll, I'll introduce both of our our hosts and then we'll, we'll talk about the basses they play so um J, jd is uh is obviously endorsed by well, not, is, jd is yeah. endorsed by stonefield basses the same bass brand that uh that i have a uh a, a bass guitar with um and uh jd performs as 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 bass doubler um, where he he kind of approaches bass in a really like melodic lead way, so he has some really interesting um, sort of tonal uh, ways of doing things. Um, so you know, so 
I want to talk a lot about the Stonefield <laughs> stuff with JD because that's going to be super cool. And uh, Naomi has uh, has worked in guitar retail for a long, long time and has some absolutely fantastic basses and it has done a really good job of making one particular very affordable bass into something extraordinarily um, cool. So I guess if we're going to talk about basses first, um, JD, why don't we start? Why don't we start with you? You're, you're currently your your main base is the Stonefield, but of course you've had you've had mad things. You've had you've had bases with um, with vibrato systems. Yeah, yeah. I had a that was a early two thousands Carvin um, LB twenty four string that was all mahogany mahogany bot, neck through body with a custom Kaler esque uh, vibrato <laughs> system uh, installed on it with um, which is super thin and super lightweight bass and which is pretty much against everything that I have on all of my other bases. I just, you know, usually quite heavy or quite beefy sounding, but yeah, it was, it was great. I got on that base too. I, I had some of the early Nordstrand, uh, warm and woolly big blades that Carrie came out with. I got some of those before they were, um, I guess act, technically actually out for the public. So I guess it was when, when you lived in the States, he yeah. would have been quite local to you. Yeah. Yeah. Kerry is just, just down the street from where I was. I used to, um, so Southern California desert. Uh, so Kerry's just in Redlands, California. Um, so I was able to just pop over to his, um, to his, you know, shop and grab a couple of those and chuck them in before it was before Nam or before, um, one of the bass guitar lives, which was the bass player version of the London bass guitar show, one of the magazine put on sort of uh-huh. trade shows. Yeah, and the and um, did it work? Did the did the trem system actually work? Because you know it doesn't yeah. work on a bass six. Yeah, 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 no, it was it was an excellent system. It had locking uh, locking tuners, and it was full floating, so it was up and down. Um, and that I mean, the bass was just a really good sounding passive four string um but yeah i ended up shifting that on not too long ago so um yeah mostly just because i'm only playing stonefield stuff at the moment really anyway so it's i was just noticing i wasn't picking up anything else anymore so yeah that was and the the stonefield you have you've got quite a different one from me because i've got the i've got the m series classic Mm. um which is there, which I guess is the the bases that they started making, which are which are which are tuned from the bridge, so they still have their headstock. Mm-hmm. But you've got the um, uh, you've got the Stanley tuning system um, on the on the bridge, and the single pickup in the middle of the body with the full passive tone shaping. But yeah. yours is you you went for an did you go for an F series? Yes. Well, I actually have two, so I have the the M series. Um, sort of like yours, which is the sort of the top of the line. Like, I think that's sort of the full Stonefield experience yeah. of things. And then... Uh, they are 4200 US dollars. Yeah, I would happily pay that again for mine. Like, it's, <laughs> it's kicked. Like, honestly, like, it's the best bass I've ever played. And I have another custom that is like somewhat close to it um, that we can talk about later, but it beats my old, like my old Olympic and everything else. Like it's that tone I'm the happiest with that I've ever had on my M series. But the bass you're referring to was, is um, I started with the the F series, which is their entry level um, bases that are, um, you know, made offshore in India, uh, as opposed to New Zealand. And um, it's, it's a bolt on neck. It's got, uh, standard headstock tuners and then it's just walnut, alder body, um, and maple neck. So pretty, pretty classic base you'll, you'd see anywhere, but it's got the stone, stoneville body, the, um, you know, the neck adjustment, um, sort of the back angle that you can get on those as well. And also like wooden bridge. I upgraded mine to the the Tom Stanley tuning system. So it's got the uh, tuners at the bridge. So the aluminium, um, the aluminium bridge and everything for lightweight. Um, and then you can do the, the fine tuning. So, yeah. Fine tuning at the bridge. And then also just have the standard headstock tuners, um, which I, which I use quite a bit. And um, I like that one 
I like that one a lot. I really enjoyed it, but doing so much stuff with Tom and just like constantly playing the M series is sort of one of those things that it was just calling to me you know yeah so. there's there's such different neck profiles as well the f series yeah. to the m because very much tom stanley and stonefield have introduced the f series is is you know whilst they're still a thousand dollars for an instrument this is the entry level for stonefield and there mm. it's very much an accessible neck profile whereas stonefields are kind of known for they're incredibly playable but it doesn't make sense that they are because the necks are are colossal yeah yeah, it's like everything when someone talks about ha- wanting like a big beefy neck, like a C profile or something on like any Fender and just kind of chuckle a bit when you're like, well, <laughs> try this and my, I think, I have to count again, but I think my neck has 42 laminates. <laughs> um, I think, it, yeah, it's 40, just, just the way Tom builds everything. Yeah, so it's, it's massive. And actually the bass I have now is the one that was in one of the issues of uh, Bass Guitarist. So they reviewed it and then... Uh, I ended up with that actual bass. Oh, so. awesome! What what top wood did you get on on that? Then is it one of the ebony or walnut ones? Um, uh, no. So uh, it is. It's one of the um, South Asian timbers. Right, uh, I'm I not. See. I'd have to. I'd have to look it up because uh, I there are a lot of, you know, one of the things that Stonefield does is you know, use local woods to them that aren't the traditionally sourced woods yeah. that you'd see. So it's all. But yeah, the one I have, I don't know if you've seen, if you remember seeing it, but it's the one that has the big knot like on mm-hmm. the, on the top. So just above the, uh, the base side of the, yeah. the bridge, it's got like this big gnarly, um, you know, basically I remember like this. chunk out of it. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's, it's it looks, it, it looks incredible. That's kind of the great thing about the stone fields. Like the one I've got, the top woods, Australian blackwoods, the fingerboard is Sobrano. And then, you know, the, like you've got sort of the all, all of the hardware is made out of solomon ebony like he really goes out of his way to and that really is where the cost comes in with the stonefield bases is yeah. that everything everything is made out of a premium piece of of wood and you see where like tom stanley lives he's just surrounded by all this new zealand forest land um you know where he can source this incredible stuff from so it's uh yeah very cool can i jump in and say three things about stonefield mm-hmm Firstly, because I never listened to you, Joe, I'd completely forgotten or didn't know that they do the F-Series, which are actually, <laughs> you know, affordable bases. You've definitely told me this, and I just don't listen to you, so it had gone out of my brain. Um, they look super cool, again, for, you know, for not a lot of money. Well, for, you know, it's a reasonable amount of money, but considering the prices of their, you know, their fully-fledged uh, series, it's a really affordable way to get into the series and they look cool and like you say for most players it seems like the neck profile will be more uh like what they're used to um so so they look they look really cool and i'd completely forgotten that you had told us that they (laughs) existed um the other thing uh so i'm on their website right now i like that they've got bass guitars as a category and the next category is not bass guitars um (laughs) which it's uh, a nice touch yeah yeah which is you know it's all the other stuff they do strings cabs signal processors that sort of thing but also looking at their list of players you two are both there and <laughs> what you know i never thought well in fact i never want to see this again uh i go to the player list and joe brandon mm-hmm. is smack bang in the middle uh, and that is uh that's upsetting to me and it should be yeah. for everyone yeah yeah i know i know i tell you i've i've never tried the stonefield their mighty mini cabs mm. um they they look absolutely fan- i thought that was such an odd thing to go for when you think a stonefield is like a what is it like a thirty-six inch scale neck? Yeah, like they yeah. are Stonefields are like Tom Stanley, the guy who makes them, must be six foot six. Yeah, yeah. And he makes them for him, and I'm five foot eight, <laughs> and I am dwarfed by the Stonefield base. And so I'm very surprised when he moved into cabs. He's made these tiny little six and a half inch uh, yeah. cabinets. Yeah, in like- great colours. Yeah, that's yeah. The the colors are bonkers on those two, which is great. And like, I've got one um, that is in the so they're little cabinets. They're it's a he did a coating on them that's basically like the coatings you would get from like a utility truck, like the bed of a utility truck, but it sort of has a little bit of rubber to it. So they're supposed to be like all weather 
cabs and everything too. Uh, and okay. but they're but they're in like like if you look at the Stonefield stuff and everything's so like timber forward. You know, you see the woods and you it's you see all the like the wood grain and that's the aesthetic. And then the, the cabs are like bright pink and bright blue. Yes, yeah, uh, bright weird. yellow. Yeah, it's it's great. I have. Um, I had Tom do a special one for me that is, I have one of the Mighty Mighty Minis, which is the smallest ones that is in the like electric teal sort of blue color with a uh, hot pink grill, which is like (laughs) super, super uh, art deco-y, which is just great. Um, Yeah, part of that is like Tom, I just chatting with Tom and he started building cabinets when he was, you know, like a lot of, like a lot of the builders, you know, we look up to today. It's just like, well, I, they didn't have what I wanted. So I made it, which is the same way he's built bases, but he's built cabinets back when he was playing, you know, shows around Florida and when he lived in the States and everything like that. So yeah, it was, that's kind of like back to the, the roots and yeah, but I was, I'm with you too. Like I was kind of like, Oh, you're building cabinets. Cool. (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah, it was pretty random i remember i think at at nam when you just started doing stuff with stonefield Mm -hmm. you were uh you were demoing his first uh his first pedals which were essentially um like tone a tone shaping pedal in the same style so so naomi and mark i don't know if you know this about stonefield bases but they're they're passive but they have a complete cut based tonal range of controls so you Didn't have know that. No, that's yeah it's, super it's, cool yeah it's it it means that you know of course you're not having to you're not using anything that's that requires batteries but you do have an alarming amount of tone shape tone mm. shaping and i don't especially i don't use the master tone or the bass cut mm-hmm. um that's on the that's on there or i guess the master tone is kind of a treble cut yeah. isn't it a treble yeah, yeah. cut or a bass cut so i don't use either of yeah. those but the other option is a notched um, a sort of a, a mid shift, essentially yeah. switching your mid focus from uh, from pointed to scooped um, as you roll through. Um, but they he made a pedal that was just that that you were kind of using for stuff. Yeah, and it's it's well, and part of that was with the so with the F series, like they don't have that that advanced electronics in them. They're basically volume, volume, tone, like you would see in you know a lot of other bases, but. It was a way to sort of get the. There's two versions. There's a rack mount version that's. These are still in prototypes. Um, there's a rack mount version that has the full like ten plus um, mid range notches that you can get just on the bases the M series that Joe and I have. Um, but then there was a pedal which was basically it had eight different ones, and we were you know at, at that Nam show we were playing through and trying to see like which which ones we wanted to put there, yeah. um, and then. There's a couple other things Tom's working on in the same sort of vein that um, this this last name show, um, the January 2020 name show before, you know, everything became the way things are now. <laughs> I don't remember uh, that time. Yeah, yeah. I can't, yeah. It was, it <laughs> cannot remember like, the before <laughs> times. Yeah, it was. Remember gigs? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Vaguely. No, actually. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was it was crazy because we, we were um we were sat at right next to the the Earthquaker booth, uh, which is great anyway, just for me. Uh, and uh, we were just like, they kept coming over and we kept just going through like each other's stuff like constantly over the few days. And it was, it was really cool. And just having like seeing them, you know, like some of their, you know, like designers and um, just kind of look and be like, I'm not really sure how this works. And, you know, same thing, like we've had it with, you know, other like, other people in the industry who are, you know, design preamps for other big manufacturers are just being like, I don't understand how any of this works. Like, it doesn't make any sense that it's all passive. And yeah. also, everyone's always like, why, why passive? You know, <laughs> and, and so it's just, it's a weird, quirky thing. I mean, I have reasons for it, but I'll take up another 20 minutes. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm super glad that it, it's passive. I, I don't think I'd have got on board with Stonefield if it had been active because, you know, I, I, <laughs> I, I still can't sort of deal with with active stuff. Like it's too it's too much of an extra thing to think about for me. I'm too I'm going to be too drunk by the time a set is finished <laughs> to remember to unplug things. And I, I I like keeping it simple. I also just want to point out that 
you know, we're talking, we were giving, you know, Mark grief about a P bass. And then in essence, we're just playing really fancy, like modern versions, <laughs> modern yeah. versions of like single, single pickup, passive electronics, totally. like, You're like, like, like basis. You know, but... Shouting about passive tone controls. I'll tell you what's got the, the ultimate passive tone control. It's all that, you know, he, they managed to fit it into like one control as well. It's, you know, it's, it's bonkers. So, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it all comes back to that best feat of engineering in the uh, 20th century, the yeah. Fender Precision the Bass. Fender Precision Bass, yes. Yeah. Well, speaking of of kind of Fender Basses, and this is great. I love that we're going to go from kind of uh, from the sort of four and a half grand sort of modern Stonefields to talking about um, one of the coolest basses, retro style basses uh, that I've ever seen. Uh, which is something that Naomi's put together. You went down a completely, a completely different track by uh, by sort of making your your own kind of bass. Backwards track, upside down track, whatever yeah. way you want to put it. Financially yeah. <laughs> reductive. <laughs> <laughs> now you've you've played lots of lots of different basses, um, but you 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 tend to err on the sort of you can see listen i've i've chosen people who are going to also like traditional fender basses because i mm. definitely and 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 everyone here's a four string player as well which which uh, so i'm i'm sorry listener bass nerds if you were expecting anything else but no I, I i've stuck with people who have taste in basses um so so yeah let's uh, let's talk about your incredible bass that you're using at the moment i i actually play a five string as well you know um, God damn it! Not <laughs> <laughs> Sorry if I've ruined the episode. Let's just but, shut um, this podcast down now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, the well, the the one you're referring to, of course, is um, my Squire Bronco mod project that I took on um, about a year or so ago. So having worked in stores for many years, as well as playing in bands, recording bands. Um, and just generally being a, a lover of all things gear. Um, like many people, the the short scale style has has long been something that um, has kind of caught my attention, both sonically and um, in every other sense. Um, I really enjoy the feel of smaller, shorter neck and really enjoy what you can achieve tonally. So um, obviously due to that, I've, I've played and loved many Mustangs of many different eras. Um, but the strange and cheap little gem that just kept falling into my hands uh, many's a time working in stores was, in, in fact, the Squire Bronco, um, you in know, coming. Yeah, incredibly affordable. They're like £130, something like that. Something know. they've all I mean, they've always sat under um, under the kind of 200 mark in the time I've worked with them. But uh, no doubt they've come down even further now. So. Um, I, don't, I don't know why Squire renamed them. Like because of course the Bronco was a guitar that Fender made in mm-hmm. the in the sixties, which was the right. music the music master but with a with a pickup in the bridge rather than in the neck. And I yes. think the Bronco was full scale rather than being short scale. But mm-hmm. this is obviously this is just a this is a music master, just a modern music master made by Squire, because it's right that even the, the pickup is still a strat pickup in the basic Bronco. Yes. That is it, just with just with a little white cover. Yeah. Um, but basically, I, I couldn't help but notice that time and time again, basically, the Broncos that were coming through the store I was working in just just had these killer necks. And eventually I thought this, like, I, I would be an idiot not to explore this as some, some sort of little mod project. So um, unsurprisingly, one came in, had a super nice neck. I uh, picked it up and was doodling around a bit at home thinking um what should i what should i pop in here um so the hardware of course was um was the first thing that i chose to kind of sort out so i went with some hip shot ultralights um managed to get some lollipop tuners um (laughs) super tasty would be would be rude not to so um those popped on there and in the meantime had been lucky to play um so Tim Lefebvre came through um, and did a masterclass at the store I was at. Oh, and, awesome. Yeah, and he was rocking the first I had seen of Serik basses. Um, so he was playing a Midwestern, I believe, was the oh, model. The Midwestern's had. the one, isn't it? That's their short-scale version. 
Which yeah. Is... Now, now Jake Sarek does. I think he does. I think four out of his five models are um, are short scale. Right. But he's he's. I mean, he's really kind of increasing his and broadening his his range and offerings as he goes. Um, but primarily, he he is sort of known, I guess, as a short scale builder. But um, so I went up to Tim after an excellent masterclass that he gave, and I said, "Is there any chance I could just play this fascinating looking bass?" You know, it looked like silver tone and a P bass and an EBO. It had some sort of very strange little baby that sounded awesome, and. Um, yeah, so got asking him about the pickup, and it was Sarek's own hand-wound B90 pickup that was in there. So after a short amount of Googling, I see Sarek sells the um, the B90 on its own, and um, it made a total no-brainer um, as an addition to the to the Bronco project. Um, I mean, I think Jake Sarek had one demo up on YouTube, um, and it just sounds absolutely awesome. Oh, it's it's um, fantastic. I can't believe he's kind of the first person to think about making a pickup in this style. For I know, right? Like I, I like just like you say. Like I went looking around after hearing this demo, thinking surely this has been this has been done before, but seemingly not in any uh, kind of as prominent way as the as the B ninety design. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's super. Just the idea of a bass pickup in a P ninety housing seems like the sort of thing that should be um, uh, should have been an industry standard a long time ago. Um, For sure, yeah. He he only they're only available in the states uh, off of his website. I I thought, but you you told me recently that you, he they actually ship worldwide and stuff, which which I was not aware of. Yeah, yeah. So from now he has um, he has more recently set up a web store. Um, of his own but through um, I believe through Reverb um, Reverb was where I, uh, I found his store initially and was able to get one of the B90s um, from there but it's gotten it's gotten compliments almost every gig I've played with it a lot of people asked about it um, and obviously not that many people have used them as mods in non-Seric bases just yet so it's still, still somewhat new to the market and um, I would not be surprised if it makes a lasting impression in in the coming years because i cannot get enough of it i cannot think of enough future bases of mine that i would like to put a b90 into as well it just looks great as well like you know guitar nerds uh, known for coming back to how things look rather than how they sound uh, as a major flaw in this podcast but like the pickup <laughs> itself just looks really good um and yeah i'm just looking at the picture of this bronco right now and uh yeah that and the talk guard they go together really well yeah. So they the torque guard, I guess you had to have custom cut for this as well. The torque guard, I got very lucky. Um, I searched an awful lot through um, through pick guard makers, um, both in the States and in the UK, um, because I had grand ideas of materials and stuff like that. But um, as an incredibly impatient person, they all involved <laughs> sending off um, sending off the pick guard uh for a template to be created and all that sort of stuff. So I got very lucky on eBay and found someone who actually uh, does have uh, a cut and a template for Bronco pickguards and picked up the torque there. So that was kind of another lucky find. Um, so really the the mods on that particular base just kind of came together surprisingly easy. And again, as a first mod project for me, it, it suited me perfectly that um, uh, I suppose beyond immediate personal personal taste, I didn't have to go on too many big long searches to kind of get what I wanted. Yeah. And you, you took it down to its bare finish as well, this base. Yes, that's the piece that I did. Um, <laughs> I, I I don't care to, to mention on this podcast what tools I use to, to de-finish that base. But <laughs> let I me... want to hear that. I want to hear that the description of that. Let's do it. I, I would say do not try this at home if your base costs anything more than £130 retail, let's say. <laughs> you know, the, the, the ultimate way to get rid of uh, poly finishes, which I learned off of a, a, a fellow that me and Mark used to work with in GAC, is a, is a heat gun. Yes, yes, indeed. I didn't realise how much that works. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I have spent hours... <laughs> <laughs> sending Chipping away. Yeah. <laughs> How did you do it then, Naomi? I'm very curious to know. Um, I I chiselled and sanded, if I remember correctly. Um, yeah. The because... Joe the Joe Brandon method, basically. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. That must have so, taken you weeks. 
it it took quite a while and somewhere in my home in Dublin there are there are many tiny chips of poly finish in <laughs> in the floor in the walls possibly in my hair over a year later we we'll never know but yeah. um yeah no it it was a completely DIY job on the on the finish um i was i actually was a little worried that with the heat method um a few people who had carried out the heat method had kind of reported that if if you if you're unlucky or whatever poly finish has been used you can sometimes get staining and the last thing i wanted was to have any sort of black stain in the wood finish i guess if you're not planning to refinish it afterwards that is quite a risk exactly and in the case of this particular mod i knew i knew i wanted um sort of that aged aged natural sort of look so i kept yeah. it as kept it as simple and sort of uh, paint free as possible and ended up with um yeah sort of a dark dark ash sort of stain yeah pretty actually more or less a finish that fender have just brought out uh as a limited edition color option with that plate in the mustang the um the player the Mustang. Off, the player it? Mustang. It used to be the offset Mustang. Now it's the player Mustang. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're doing that now. Aged natural with the torque guard. Yeah, I know. I had a good chuckle at that when I when I saw that on the on the Fender website. <laughs> Someone's been taking notice. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, um, the, the pickup in that guitar is more expensive than the guitar in that guitar. In in which in, in, in your Bronco. Yes, it is. It is. Um, again, quite proud of my first mod involving parts that, that do okay. cost more than the instrument itself. That's very good. You can you can hear that bass. I think I saw it in a in a in a live session that you did with. I is uh, I don't know how to pronounce it. Is it Uli or Uli? Yes, Uli. Right, Uli. Okay. So Uli's an amazing um, sort of lo-fi R and B artist from Dublin. Um, he's a re- recently new project of maybe the last two years or so so yeah i played on a few live sessions with him and i'll make sure that you guys have have the links so people can have a listen if they like um i am still planning doing kind of a proper demo of of the b90 as well um well i thought it sounded fantastic in those sessions like you really when you think about you know as you say this was kind of like a you know yeah like a lo-fi r&b very sort of soul-esque yeah that is not what i expect someone to be playing a sort of a music master you know a bronco um style uh bass when you think of that those sort of tones i think um i don't expect a short scale to be doing anything that kind of I guess clean and and funky, but it sounds fantastic. Like the cl- the clarity on on um, on your Bronco is is wonderful on that session. Like when you think that it's a hundred and fifty pound bass, it's, you know, it sounds clean and perfect enough for R and B, which uh, which is quite a high bar. Sure. Well, this is this is the thing. I mean, it was um, not that it was a surprise to me. I mean, I knew I wanted a short scale project with a really cool pickup and with decent hardware. And so, you know, once that was achieved, obviously, um, there's always an element of chance with any mod, I suppose, isn't there? Um, because it's it's a particular body and a particular pickup and other particular parts that, that maybe haven't met before in a way that you've heard. Um, but yeah, what it, what it managed to produce was a a super versatile um short scale model and mm. i would i would love to i would love to hear more of them um cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue also you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states united healthcare short term insurance plans underwritten by golden rule insurance company offer flexible budget friendly coverage for you learn more at uh1.com hey i'm ryan reynolds at mint mobile we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com/switch. $45 up front for 3 months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/spoken today. 
more kind of B90 mods in future, for sure. I mean, with that particular bass, I ended up playing um, because because I work when there are gigs and when there are sessions. I work as a gigging um, session player as well. I toured that bass with a super loud noise rock band and again got um, got many compliments on the tone through fuzz, through distortion, through whatever else. So, um, yeah. That's a real testament to the to the pickup. Seric Seric bases have really only just. I appreciate American listeners, which is you know the bulk of you to be honest. But I appreciate you've had Seric bases available there for quite some time. But they've only just really made their way over to the UK. Um, and and you can get them in. Uh, I think Base Gallery might m- might be the only place stocking them at the moment. I'm not sure. Maybe Base Direct are as well. I think in the UK. But um, I, I it's, I it's keep... mostly like a custom thing though, right? You can order like different colours and stuff if you want. Oh direct. yeah, of course. It's a complete custom shop. But I tell you what, so, like uh, Base Gallery, who always have the best taste when they're ordering in. Uh, who also stock Stonefield, but uh, when Base ca- Gallery order in custom stuff it always seems to be like there is someone there who has wonderful taste and they the the first thing they had in from Seric was a midwestern which is the one we're talking about which is your um uh uh, uh what do you call it what's uh, what's the body shape it's based on the epiphone coronet there we yeah go. um so uh it was a it was a midwestern in like a through grain black so a mahogany body where you've got that like that tight grain that the black is just saturating into with a torque guard i think it was a b90 but it, it might not have been because they also do these other sort of big gretsch style pickups um and it uh you know it went in they're only i can't remember what they are 1600 pounds like they are not a lot for custom shop instruments i'm and- just looking right now literally while we're talking i'm specking one out uh, it went in a day. <laughs> it, it went in a day on Base Gallery. The, the this Eric, like I saw it come in because I, I look at Base Gallery most mornings. My life isn't that interesting, but um, it, it was it was gone the next day because I was thinking about it. I was like, well, if there's one here and I don't have to pay import on it, then actually this is a great option. They all basically um, just looking at the Eric website now. They're all basically two thousand dollars roughly, um, mm. depending on you know yeah. what upgrades and stuff you want. But yeah, I mean, pretty much any of the body shapes that I can see are. Um, yeah, about that sort of money. I actually call it the Armitage. The Armitage is cool. The Armitage isn't that the one that's more like a Gibson Ripper? That's no, the that is the scale, yeah. that's the Lincoln. That's the Lincoln. Right. The, the Armitage sorry. is more like um, Ricky three thousand and one. I don't know if you guys know that bass. It's um, a, 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 I think a bolt on guitar that Ricky did uh, in the seventies. I want to say. JD used to work yeah. for Rick and Becker. Yeah. Oh I, well, I yes. Yeah, in that case, you definitely know this bass. So give it. Do you want to give us the history on it? No, no, you go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I mean, that's about all I know. All I yeah. know is it's a bolt-on. There's the 3000 was the short-scale one. The 3001 was the long-scale one. Um, it's like a, just a less fancy Ricky, I guess. Yeah, it's... Yeah, and I think it... In essence, I mean, well, this isn't factually correct, but it like it's sort of... That became like the Cheyenne which is their model that seems very un-Rickenbacker, where it's just yeah. it's just a wood base with, that's made, you know, it's basically like an 80s base, but made by Rickenbacker kind of right. thing. Yeah. But yeah, the three, the 3000 like always seemed like a kind of stripped back thing to me, you know, it was like completely different body shape, didn't have all the fancy stuff to it, uh, bolt on as I'm far, as far as I'm aware, they're bolt on, I'll double check that, but, um, mm. you might know more than me, but, uh, I just like them because loads of like punk bass players pick them up and I think you can get them. I mean, you, they're very, very rare, but, um, you can get them when you find them very, very cheaply compared to similar age, you know, 4,001s or whatever. So, mm. um, yeah. Uh, so that's why I like the Armitage. I think that looks super cool because it's very much in that vein. So yeah. for me, oh, sorry. No, go ahead. I, w- I was going to say, I think the Armitage is the only one of the five models that is that comes long scale as standard. Really? As well. right. Yeah, that's a 34 as standard. And I'm pretty sure the other four are... Um, they're 30 inches standard with 32 and 34 options in some. I see. Um, it's kind of the beauty of the, the custom shop element, isn't it? What's yeah, amazing I mean... to me, looking at the Armitage, and in fact, I think it applies to all of them, is that one of the options is body wood. And like for me, you know, when you're, you know, I, I go to like, you know, going back to the guitar side of things, you know, I go to a Les Paul because it's a mahogany body. I wouldn't necessarily 
sure want that as an option to be like oh, actually i want to change the body wood to maple um so yeah it seems weird to me that you know the uh the options that you've got on these bases are so fluid that to the point where you can basically change the complete nature of the base by changing the body wood you know well yeah. i i mean i think i mean i think that's one of the key differences between bass and guitar broadly like as far as like what's available and just in the sense that you know like the the tonal nature of and the way that the strings interact with a bass is much different than it is with a guitar where you know and and there's much more history where you know just what you're saying is like if you you think about les paul you think mahogany i want to go for that that style tone like it's and you start seeing like variations on the les paul theme whereas like bass is certainly in boutique builds and certainly in that it's it's sort of you tend to have fewer bases or you want a bass that can do more things like you want a bass that works in a in a punky set with a lot of fuzz and also in an r&b set and then also with everything else as opposed to having you know like 12 12 guitars that sort of well this is my guitar with that i use with this specific preamp potentially is sort of like how i kind of how i sort of see it. it's the way i've always sort of seen like boutique builds go that way is it's sort of you know you tend to have one thing and just yeah and mm. sit with it I feel, yeah, like I, that's, agree. I feel like that's always been the way on bass. You know, I, I kind of feel like, you know, it, let's say, you know, following the timeline of guitars, it's like, you know, 50s, it's, you get the telly, you know, um, and there's Paul and then you get Strat. And, and, I, and I kind of feel like there's small iterations on that stuff all the way up to, you know, like the 80s, getting the Ibanez RG is basically a, a kind of a Strat evolved. Um, mm-hmm. Whereas bass, it was like, okay, we've done the P bass and the jazz bass, right? People are just going to play those for like 10 years. Oh, and then suddenly Alembic is there with like active preamp, <laughs> yeah. you know, like uh, through neck, kind of totally different body shape. I just feel like the jumps in bass design have always been much bigger than they have on the guitar side of things, if that makes sense. But I think the feel of, of basses is much, much bigger than it is with guitar. Certainly playing like a, a Strat or playing a Les Paul, those are two very different feeling instruments, but but n- not nearly to the extent, like you're talking about an inch scale length difference. You know, there there is four inches between an SG bass and a, and and a P bass. You know, it's yeah. it's a diff- if it's a different type of instrument. There's so there's such a broad spectrum in in basses that I think I I guess. And I don't know why, but, you know, obviously the P bass and the jazz bass really saturated the market. The problem, the sad thing for me is that short scale bass has got such a, a, a hard rap. You know, the the SG bass, you can pick up a, an, a Gibson EB3 from 1969 for like £1,600. Why should you be able to pick up a 60s bass by one of the biggest companies in, in the world for that little money where it cost me 10 grand for you know, a, a P-base of the same year. Well, not quite 10 grand, but a P-base of the same year. It's a modern tragedy, Joe. Yeah. <laughs> I know, well, I know, I know. And, and as a big advocate for short-scale bases, you know, as well as obviously playing literally the opposite thing in a in a 36-inch scale stone field. But I, I have no idea why short-scale bases didn't have more impact than they, they did. I think it is mainly down to the fact that the P-base and the jazz base were just so good and i think when music changed um fender guitars had an appropriate tonal range to deal with how music progressed and gibson basses just didn't they had this one sound that went massively out of fashion people started wanting clarity in basses and that was not something that short scale basses with mud buckers could offer and so all of a sudden it just became you know you well, either played a fender or an active instrument yeah and i i think i think we'd have to look at the same time that that's when bass amplification became viable you know was was right when ampeg came out with you know the svt and you know instead of just seeing like b15s and stuff like that like you could when you could actually when when playing a non-short scale bass electric bass made a made a difference and it could be amplified then it's then you could go on to to play other things and that's why we weren't just you know like 
we as bass players weren't just playing like the tic-tac lines that you would get, you know, like for a bass six on top of the upright that was there just for the radio and, yeah. and that kind of stuff. So it's like the bass amplification happened at the same, like that, you know, like late sixties, early seventies at this, you know, made the same jump that Olympic came out when you were running through bespoke PAs and everything, um, you know, like the Grateful Dead, love them or, you know, well, how I feel. Them. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> musically, I don't, but for, you know, just what they've done for like the audio industry, you know, alone, just, you know, creating, you know, like a marketplace for Olympics and Rick Turner, you know, to be able to do stuff and all of the, all of the PA system and, and just what they've done with preamps and effects units and putting a Mutron out there that wasn't just on a funk tune and sort of all that stuff. Like, it's just fascinating to yeah. look at. Yeah, yeah. I get. I guess you're you're right in in a sense that that that's something that we have to consider. It's not just the basses; it's the amplifiers. If you consider the fact that by the time Fender were releasing the jazz bass, Paul McCartney was still playing through a fifty watt amp in stadiums. You know, mm. no one could hear that. It was a it was a real kind of late revelation, I guess, that we moved to amplifiers that could actually articulate the instrument that was being played through them what year did, the, S what did, the, year did the svt come out 69 right i think 60, uh yeah. yeah 969 you're right so yeah beatles were like basically i mean obviously they weren't gigging at that point but yeah i do think that that is like a massive shift uh and uh, improvements in in pa as well i guess started to happen around that time yeah yeah i guess so I guess so. Okay, so speaking of amplifiers, just we're coming to the end of of this episode, which is which has been wonderful. But speaking of amplifiers, Mark, obviously you're you're playing uh, you're playing an old. I'm, pl I'm playing nothing early? right now. <laughs> I don't think anyone's playing particularly like massive bass amplifiers at the moment. Um, to be honest, I couldn't even tell you where my bass amp is. I think it's at Jay's house. Um, right. Jay being one of the other podcast hosts for uh, JD and Naomi. Um, I haven't used it at all this year, and I used it very sparsely last year. I kind of feel like, uh, yeah, it must be really tough. If you make big, loud amps right now, um, you must be, be hurting because, uh, you know, why would people be buying 300-watt bass heads right now yeah. or, or more? So, uh, but yeah, no, um, uh, yeah, Mark Bass, original little Mark head. For me, one of the best bass amps ever made. Uh, they, they've got the perfect fusion of something that still sounds kind of aggressive because they're not a d-class power amp they're just a regular solid state power amp um that is only the first series they did yeah yeah exactly that yeah that. yeah little mark one um the ones that are in the yellow box rather than the black box with the yellow writing um and uh but they're, they're still you know they're much heavier than the later little marks but they're still light enough that you can sort of carry them with one hand and as for someone who before that had uh an ampeg b Com no B two combo, uh, which was that was the uh, essentially an SVT three fifty in a fifteen watt combo. Um, right. yeah, I remember that was quite a big. Uh, or maybe it was a B three. I can't remember. Anyway, um, yeah, it was essentially that in a combo, and it was massive and it was heavy. Um, and yeah, to switch to the little Mark head was an absolute revelation. Yeah, yeah, I bet. Naomi, you used to play Aguila, right? I still do. Yeah. Oh, you still do, um, right? Yeah, I'm an Aguilar gal through and through. Um, Is it supposed to be Aguilar? I'm yeah. never sure. Should, should we all agree on a pronunciation? Aguilar. It's Aguilar. Aguilar. Well, I mean, Aguilar. Not Aguilar. So right. Stephen pronounces it. <laughs> Aguilar. Right. <laughs> Wait, okay, which? Fine. Which? Aguilar or no, Aguilar? No, Aguilar. Aguilar. Okay, fine. Cool. Fine. Okay, let's let's not go down the the Moog Moog. Um, <laughs> well, yeah, also, so. I mean, his name was Moog, so <laughs> I mean, there, there is there's an answer. <laughs> yeah, as I was saying, let's not go down that route. Um, so, yes, to answer your question, Joe, I um, I started with a Tonehammer 500 many years ago, possibly as far back as 2013, I think. Um, and at the time, I had two SL112s 
which I sold on like a fool because they were beautiful little cabs. Oh, why did you do that? There was there were such great cabs. They I were could, they were I super couldn't... and they were light and it like they did what they said on the tin. They were and super so light. So expensive though. I know. I know. Um but yeah, stunning cabs and I I it was something really silly. It was like the band I was playing in at the time uh required required just something bigger and heftier and obviously oh, the what? The 112s, you know, were, were super for everything, but perhaps not the grunge that I was playing at the what, time. What, what finish were they in the, the SR? Uh, they were the classic. They were the, the black, black and silver right. um, classic. I didn't I didn't um, get my mitts on. What were they doing at the time? I think they were doing the chocolate finish at the time. Yeah, they've done them in, in like a, a vintage white with a red drill. Since yes. Then as well. Yeah, that was the one. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so loved and enjoyed those for, for many years. And then for certain kind of little smaller gigs, more recently I picked up a Mark Base 210. Um, what was the model? Is it one of the combos or is it just the No, cab? no, no. The, the no, cab. it was the cab. It was so it's the, either the New York or the Traveller, I think. With the two, yeah, it was the Traveller 210. Yeah. Traveller 210P, I think. Really um, good, really good, really lightweight. They actually sound excellent. I prefer their cabs to their heads, to be honest. But the, you know, yeah, yeah. Cracking. I'd be, I'd be in the same, I'd be in the same ballpark with that. But as a cab and as a light cab for for lugging around from gig to gig, it was it was superb. Um, so yeah, I currently am cabless. Actually, I'm between cabs, but <gasps> but I'm rocking an AG seven hundred these days, headwise. So that was my. Wait, oh. the the seven hundred is that a, is that a, the big valve one? It's not. That's the DB seven. Oh right, okay. Seven fifty or seven five one. Um, so the AG is basically it's the I believe the next step up from the Tonehammer series, and it's essentially a slightly beefier, bulkier, ever so slightly more clear um, and dynamic head to the Tonehammer series. Um, but yeah, I'm a huge fan. It has one of my only requests on any head that I use is a super flexible EQ. So I like um, just depending on the room that I'm playing and I really like to have a super strong cut and boost um, on on the most basic like three or four band EQs. And it has that. It has a four band. So you have treble, high mid, low mid, bass. Um, and additional to that, there is... It doesn't have the drive, doesn't have the built-in drive that the Tone Hammer had. And that's probably the one thing I miss. I did use... Oh, really? Did you, you find yourself using that? I, I could never see myself using a drive that you can't turn on and off. Yeah, well, it's it's pretty it's pretty contentious. But, I mean, it, like, obviously it's it's project or context dependent, right? Of course, so yeah. this was... I mean, this was in a band where I, I kind of had a perma perma distortion tone. And it was, <laughs> it was superb for that. Um, obviously I, I eventually just got the aggro, which, um, which I think had the same circuit, actually same drive circuit as the, as the tone hammer drive. Um, and that did give me the, the on off. Um, but I've kept the aggro and, and moved on from the, from the tone hammer head. Right. Right. Of course. Yeah. Super cool. A super cool head. The, uh, um, uh, the, the AG, uh, 700, um, very weird. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it is it is pretty modern, you know. Um, it is uh, it's, solid. It's stage. kind of a halfway house with Aguilar. We agreed on that pronunciation. Yeah, um, <laughs> it, it, I kind of feel like they're a halfway house. So I, I'm, you know, a, a sort of uh, a terrible traditionalist in that I hate mm. everything classy. Even even the suggestion that something should be lightweight is 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 ridiculous to me because surely what you should be caring about is how something sounds and so when companies really small heads i'm like i don't this is not a thing this is not a thing that i care about i care about it sounding good um sure but that said i i always thought Aguilar did a great job of actually making these modern rigs that sounded traditional. They sounded like Ampex to me. Mm. Um, mm -hmm. You know, you could actually make them sound old school. Mark Bass definitely had that option because they had the, um, I don't know if they had them on your series, Mark, but they had a vintage loudspeaker emulator. They did the, the, the one on mine is, oh no, sorry. Yes, VLE is on my one. They didn't have VPF. VPF, but no one wants VPF because that's just a mid scoop. So yeah. unless you want to sound absolutely rubbish, you don't want that so 
Um, it was the the VLE, the loudspeaker emulator, which was what I was all about because it was essentially they could have just called that control Jack Bruce, and then like you just turn it up for more Jack Bruce, and that 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 made sense to me. That was a that was a really useful control. Um, JD amplification. Amplification wise, uh, I am and have been for quite some time. Like uh, Eden, Eden amplification is what I've been playing. Uh, for ages. Um, my favorite of that is their uh, discontinued for quite some time, but was um, the Metro series, which was the world tour head in a uh, in a 210 cabinet. So they were so good. Yeah, it, it was the one I had was still, it, you know, was, was handmade and was I've I think it was is the late 90s mid late 90s um that it's still going still going strong and it was like and i had you know i've played pretty much every amp that's come out um since and it's i just kept going back to the e and there's just something that does to it's sort of the high end and the way i i use high ends i don't traditionally you know like my tone's weird for a solo basis and then it's not real you know, like it's it's not real sizzly and bright, and it's also not like quite vintage. It's just sort of present, I think, right. and and, mm-hmm. and growly, and it's just those those heads do it, and then like the the Eden cabinets, I think, are the really the thing that sets everything uh, apart. Like their, um, you know, their XLT cabs and the XSTs, just differences the porting. But again, each each of those were. You know that 210 combo was close to 100 pounds, uh, and uh, was was built for sound and not for maneuverability up and down, up and down <laughs> like you know like steps at a venue or or anything. And um, I mean, it was still well better. Like I used to tour two 810s, so you know, like that's you know, like. I'm, I'm with I'm with you on the like just just you know carrying you know like just like well it's it sounds better so I'm gonna have two eight tens so yeah that was <laughs> it doesn't sound better enough for me. yeah yeah well it was great because I did it I had one on each side of the stage so you know and you so know, not only were you too loud for you but you were too yeah. loud for someone else <laughs> yeah yeah I just wanted to make sure I was too loud everywhere and there's I mean we were playing thousand plus seat well seat you know like uh capacity venues without without go running through the pa which i will say is one of the dumbest things i've done in uh in my life (laughs) surprised you're still able to podcast or wear like headphones or hear people (laughs) in any fashion yeah Yeah, or or walk looking around (laughs) 16 speakers yeah yeah that is uh yeah yeah, but the the Eden stuff, and then like now I've been playing their um, the Terra Nova series, which is their Class D. But um, the Terra Nova is the most recent version, which is the was sort of based off the World Tour Five Fifty, uh, which is sort of this like sweet spot kind of classic head. So the World Tour Eight Hundred is what everyone's had. It's what like if you get like a soft tube emulation and stuff like that's what it's based on. But the WT five fifty was one that like everyone who played Eden was kinda of like there's something just sort of magical about that specific head that was still like that was a toroidal transformer back then, you know, that the head itself was still sixty pounds, you know, for a five hundred watt head. But um but the class D version of that, like it sounds as close as a class D will ever sound to um you know, an actual massive transformer, but yeah, I was I really incredibly impressed with the the Terra Nova series by Eden. I thought they were absolutely fantastic. As as, as someone who's sort of naturally averse to um, to Class D stuff, it was actually one of the <laughs> one of the amplifiers that I tried and was like, this sounds really, really good. It drived quite nicely mm-hmm. as well, which I think was really uh, kind of important. And I think that I think is lacking on a lot of Class D amplifiers. It just, you know, obviously clarity is what Class Ds kind of go for, um, but it had a nice amount of wooliness, which is yeah. kind of what I want. Um, yeah, yeah, really and cool. I- and I think for me too, like the Eden stuff, it's like, it's a really nice platform for me because I mean, Joe, you know, and like you've seen parts of my pedal board at least, which, yeah. you know, like, 
at times is, you know, like I used to carry it in at least one keyboard case, depending on what I was going to go for. And it's just silly. It's six different drive pedals and stuff, you know, but, um, <laughs> you know, like, but just having like an amp that just behaves how I want it to behave constantly was sort of what I was after too. So. Yeah, yeah, exactly, absolutely. I, uh, I I recently changed on on uh, on the on, on on my last tour to using an Ashdown CTM three hundred. Obviously, Ashdown amps are something I've used for a while, and, and I've always used their um, uh, I've always used the Ashdown ABM uh, series, which are the I guess the 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 series that you expect. They're the series that everyone the the, the when you think of Ashdown. Um, it's the it's, that's the one that's the it's like down amp, it's know. like the go to Ashdown right? exactly so it's that blue blue face chassis it has a couple of um a couple of valves in the in in the preamp but then a solid state power amp stage um they've in, introduced way more tone shaping than I need because you get uh, you get three um uh, you get three like fader tone controls in between the bass middle and treble as well for for utmost shaping which of course i don't use at all plus the abm always had it has built in like a uh you get a sub octave which doesn't really work like a conventional octave it's more like the presence of something underneath rather than like a direct doubling of sound an octave down and rather than an built- effect right exactly exactly it's more just a it's just a great dub sound so i, I don't really use that but then it had the valve driver, which just cooks your your preamp, um, which I found very usable and used all the time. And that's just an on-off with one rotary and then a compressor as well. And to be honest, if you're not like if, if you were doing a session or or playing at home or anything like that, then having control of that drive and that compressor is, is almost like those are your basic tones dealt with. Um, there, but you know, for for full gigs, I obviously wouldn't wouldn't use the compressor. I'd have something on my board that was a bit more dynamic. They were very very good, but then I started using the CTM three hundred, which is very much Ashdown's SVT, um, only sort of twice the weight and depth. It was the biggest, <laughs> heaviest amplifier I have ever ever played. I had to. Well, I decided to take it on tour because I played it and was like, this thing sounds so. good good i think i have to take it on tour and we had like two weeks in europe and i was like well i obviously can't take it on tour as it is i need to buy a flight case but it was so big and it's so unusual like it's not you know it's not one of their big sellers that i had to have the the flight case custom built so i was like cool this has cost me 250 pounds just to carry (laughs) and and it was absolutely a two-man lift my band hated me a head that was a two-man lift i mean nothing changed there yeah yeah no this is after i'd convinced my guitarist and my sax player who also plays guitar to move to boss katanas because they're (laughs) lightweight and portable and easy to take on tour i then turned up to that same tour with a two-man lift head let alone the my god let alone the two uh i had ashdown make me um they they did uh, two 15-inch cabs in 410 housings. So they're like oversized 15 inches. And I've got two of those in black mesh with... Uh, in black Tolex with red mesh. And they're cotton wool lined, just like the old Ampeg cabs were. Um, but yeah, so you've got two of those plus a two-man lift. Why don't they just when- kick you out of the band? Like, seriously? <laughs> I- I I would I would when like the between two guitar players they brought less stuff even when our, our main guitarist Tim plays through two boss katanas and our sax player stroke guitarist has one boss katana that was less gear than I was bringing on tour with two oversized one fifteens and a CTM three hundred head. It um, sounds like the katanas were sort of like your olive branch to the band. Like, <laughs> please, please take my small offering in, well, in advance of, of the costs to all yeah. of our spinal health. I, I tell you what, I do, I do think the katana, the boss katana sounds as good as any Valve amp. And I have lots of great guitar amplifiers and I can genuinely say that I think the katana sounds absolutely as good as them. Sure. For guitar. I can't say that for bass. I'm using a CTM 300. I would love to not use a CTM 300. Mm -hmm. I would love for a Class D to be able to do for bass what 
uh, what you know uh, a katana can do for for a guitar. But I'm just I'm still constantly convinced that if you want to sound good as a bass player, if if you want an old school sound, then a lot of the time you still need a massive valve head. That said, I do think I do think both Eden and Aguilar. Did I do that one right? Yes. You did. Yeah, okay, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> offer some absolutely fantastic alternatives. I just, uh, uh, I just haven't bought either of those brands. That's the topic for next week. Then, can we yeah. put together a rig that will outdo Joe's old school bass rig that doesn't <laughs> require a flatbed truck to transport it? <laughs> a flatbed truck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah okay yeah you're absolutely right we we should right well that that does in fact bring us up to time on uh, on this the first episode of the bass guitar nerds thank you very much listener for for tuning in to the first time ever that guitar nerds has done solely bass related content i've had a fantastic time talking about things that i actually care about rather than talking about things that you guys care about dear listener um, so yes, thank you for being a part of it. The ultimate uh, Joe Branson indulgence project. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes, thank you very much to Mark, JD, and Naomi for being my co-hosts on this one. And uh, yes, we'll be back next week in some form with more of this guitar nerdery. Farewell. Bye bye. <laughs>